love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Women Podcast. I'm Haley Chura. I'm joined by Alyssa Gadeski. Alyssa, I thought about you a lot this weekend. I was recovering from my Ironman, which meant a lot of lounging, which meant that I was up, I think it was, was it Saturday morning? Um, and I noticed it was like the finish of UTMB, Ultra Trail du Mont Blanc, a race around Mont Blanc in France, big trail race. I thought of you because I feel like this is like right up your alley. And then Jasmine Paris, who we've interviewed uh, previously she was racing and I got to see the finish, but I was curious. Okay. Can you tell us like about UTMB and were you watching as well? Or was this just something that my Ironman insomnia led me to Haley? I was definitely watching. I, I have like a, I go back and forth. I have a lot. I don't want to call it a love hate relationship with UTMB because it's more of like a love, love a little less relationship through the years with UTMB because I've tried to get in uh, a couple times and never got in through the lottery. And then things changed with the qualification and the points. And then it changed to stones and it's just exhausting. And honestly, stones. But stones. yeah, you have to collect running stones and it's like kind of a joke, but it's not too complicated. And then, but like, there's this whole system to entry and through these recent years, it's like evolved and changed. And I just feel like every time I'm about to get in, it changes. And then I still don't make it in through the lottery. And I'm like, just a tad below where I would need to be to qualify naturally as an, as an elite when I was like trying to do it that way. And so I was like, oh, I should just go all in and focus on that. But then I didn't. And now I don't know where I stand in if I will ever run UTMB, but I, I think I'm back towards the, I want to run UTMB at some point now after watching it, because I'm all fired up after watching the coverage they had really good. It wasn't perfect, but really good coverage. They were like able to get these crazy shots out on the trail. It's a 104 mile race. Um, like you said, around Mount Blanc and it's just supposed to be epic and gorgeous. And like a huge number of people, it starts at like 6 PM, I think in France. So they run through that first night and then they come through the day and it's like all the names of the big ultra runners. It's just one of the big iconic ultra races where people go to race to like, it's, you know, I don't know, I'm calling it like a world championship caliber field. Um, I don't know if they legally like can call it a world championship legally, like field legally, but it always is that type of caliber. Um, you have Killian Jornet who's there, Jim Walmsley on the men's side, like that was a big hyped race, but historically the race is always like really good for the women's race as well. And the U S women have dominated since Courtney DeWalter, um, I think 2017, 2019, she has won the race and like, really, it's always kind of been this story that like the U S women dominate at UTMB. And it's always been like, you know, do, 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 where are the men, where are the men? So like, it is kind of fun now watching because there is a contingent of American men like Jim Walmsley, Zach Miller did really well this year who are really trying to break through and like, be like, Hey, we can do it too. Like, let's do it. Like the women do, but the women's race is so good. Haley. And the American women once again dominated, taking first and third on the podium. Katie Scheid was first, Caitlin Gerben was third, and then Canadian, still North American. So we can appreciate that. Marianne, Marianne Hogan was second. 
and Haley. This got me even more excited than I already am because Katie Shide, guess what where guess what her FKT that she she holds one FKT, guess which one it is. Um you're never going to guess. Mount Washington. <laughs> close, Mount Washington. Close, 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 close. So good guess. You were thinking on the right angle. So Katie Scheid is the current female FKT holder for um, the Hut to Hut Traverse, which is like a historical route in the White Mountains where you are running between the huts in the White Mountains. And it's like this 50 mile route. It's super gnarly, really hard. Tons of her very, it goes like through the Prezies. Um, really technical terrain. And Katie Scheid is the current record holder for the female. I think you do it self-supported, I think. Um, but that's like, that's crazy, right? So she, she's from your neighborhood, basically. Yeah, she's, she's running your, your neighborhood. You're running on that same terrain that she has obviously like honed her, her skills that yes, because- led her to the top of the podium at UTMB. During college, she worked in the crews, C-R-O-O, as they call them, the crews that work at the huts in the summer. And so she was like one of the people who was carrying the supplies like up and down the mountain and carrying things in and out. And it's like a really hard job. But I have this theory that people who are on the cruise are like these insane athletes. And if they find themselves in some sort of endurance sport later in life, that foundation they laid through the summers being on the cruise, like really serves them well. So this is furthering that point. Um, but I just love seeing someone who clearly loves the white mountains, uses this as a training base. Granted, she's been living in France for a few years now, but you know, um, still probably will call that area some like kind of home to herself. Um, I love seeing her come out on top. It was her, I think, third attempt at UTMB or one of those races. And so, um, you know, it wasn't like she just went there and crushed it, but she's been slowly through the years, biding her time and getting better and better. So really fun to see her come out on top. And then I was looking at Marianne Hogan's Instagram and she did a Prezi Traverse just a few weeks ago training for UTMB. So I'm like, wow. So so those two things, definitely. I was like, oh man, now I am in like the good, like, you know, I gotta, I gotta get into this race. So are are the Prezi's, um, is that like presidential mountains? Is that your like pet, pet name for for some like (laughs) mountains that are named after some presidents? Yes. And Washington is Washington. One of them, Washington, Washington, people always (laughs) laugh at me because I don't actually know, like, I'm not one John of those Adams? kids who grew up knew, knowing <laughs> the presidents. Like I, I can't sing the song. Can you sing the presidential song where you like know them all in order? I can only sing like certain things from Hamilton, but <laughs> probably not well. So we probably shouldn't, uh, should not, uh, feature my vocal. No. Like, well, on here. and it's confusing because you're in the prezies. So yes, the, the mountains are named after presidents, but then you get to Jackson and you think it's the president Jackson, but it's really a different Jackson, but it's not that would be good. I think the president Jackson has uh, has fallen out of favor in recent years. Um, but okay. I want to go back to this coverage thing because it was, it was incredible coverage. I was like, how in the world are they getting this coverage? And I think at the end they did, um, they, I mean, there's some drone shots. I think it was a mixture of like drone, like people on foot who are running with people with cameras, like must've been on like a gimbal. So it was like, wasn't super bouncy. And then at certain points they had e-bikes with like front and back cameras, but it was just, it was in wild. And it was very cool as a spectator to see the terrain, to actually like see it and to see these athletes just in this really remote area. I thought that was incredible. I, I would be curious to, you know, talk to someone who raced and if that's like a distraction or if they like having those people around. Um, but 
I, I mean, I, I, I'm not someone who has ever run a hundred miles. I mean, I think someday I would like to do one, one, just like to see what that's like. Um, I don't think I'm racing UTMB style. I think about anyone that's a little flatter maybe, but, um, <laughs> a little less technical one that like doesn't require poles. Cause I feel like, I don't know if I have like the brain power skills to do that, but, um, I mean, it's just so beautiful, but I do think as a fan, it was, you know, was really a fun viewing experience. And the, those American women, I think they were going through all the American women who have won there. It's like, Katie was like the fifth. We all, Nikki Kimball, who we've had on the show was one, Christy Mole, mm-hmm. Rory Bazio, Courtney Dewalter, and then Katie. I mean, they, like you said, it's maybe it is those white mountains. I mean, Alyssa, I <laughs> you might be, you might be destined. I am curious. Okay. There's a bunch of different races happening, like some shorter races some longer races. Would you ever do one of the other races that was happening? Like the CCC or the PTMB or the, I don't know, PTL. Well, LOL. I have I to, I do. I have to go back and look at now the entry process and how it works because the, the hundred K option, I think is the CCC. And that does look, um, also enticing to me, I think might be a good way to get my feet wet and see if like, I really could be good at the full shebang. Right. Um, but now that Iron Man has bought, bought, I guess, UTMB or, um, whatever. So partner, it's like a partner. partner with yeah. It. I don't know. So it's, I think it's like a similar process to how Kona is where you have to go to a different UTMB race and kind of place high enough. I don't know if it's like place high enough in gender or if they're, I don't think they're doing it by like age categories for that. So I don't know. I have to look and then figure it out, but I I do think the hundred K would be a fun way to go and run it, but not have to do, I mean, 104 miles is really long and hard. I do think maybe like doing the UTMB route as like a touring thing where you do it over two or three days or maybe three or four days, maybe four or five days and you go hut to hut, you get to stay in the villages and have the pastries and the cheese. Oh, okay. This sign me up for this. Yeah. Pastries and cheese and not excessive amounts. And then also you can like wait for me while I'm coming down the hill. Like, so that, okay. Sign me up. Maybe we should do this. Maybe it could be an iron Women podcast special. And we'll like, do you think they have a wifi? I mean, they, if they're able to have this, like, yeah, this I'm sure they have coverage, some. Yeah. yeah. We could probably record like from huts. Um, if really our fun. listeners would like this to happen, it might be a couple of years before we pull it off, but right into our mailbag, ironwomenpodcast.gmail.com <laughs> and vote. Would you like to, uh, to see, uh, Alyssa and I run and podcast at the same time? Oh, Alyssa. Okay. I have one other thing I needed to tell you about. Oh, I got some fun mail. Did you see this? <gasps> yeah. Oh, I forgot to grab my mind. Look, look behind me hanging. You could probably see, right? Oh yeah. So I got our previous guest, Kate Verano from Zwift sent us these cool caps. They say, watch the femmes from the tour de France. Like we have swag from the tour de France. Alyssa, I don't know. This might mean we need to go to France. Like, um, well, it's definitely up our around everywhere. Yeah, it's definitely up our cool factor because I so it's the correct way. I almost was going to wear it on my ride this weekend too because they're supposed to be like worn under a helmet or like were they worn in the olden I days instead of helmets? Like supposed- is that? But then now you can wear it with like under a helmet, right? And it's like a a thing. I think it helps if it rains, maybe like keeps yeah. the rain out of your face. I don't. I don't. I mean, I just want to wear mine all the time. I love it. It is fun. It is very fun, like fun colors, but thank you to Kate for, for our gift. I mean, wow. Our guests give us gifts. We're such a big time, but, um, also it's nice because I have a little bit of summer hair this morning, but, um, but yeah, I'm excited to continue to watch the femmes in all sports, but also in cycling. So got me all fired up to get mail like that. And 
we'll just keep on the mail trend, Haley. We'll go into the mailbag. We have a question that came from someone I'm very familiar with for this week. Her name is Haley Chura. And she yes, wrote, into I wrote it into our own mailbag. <laughs> I just didn't want to forget. And I know Alyssa has this answer and I didn't know. So here we go. So the mailbag question comes from Haley Chura and Haley asks us this week, if does Alyssa have any hydration vests that she recommends for longer runs and ultras? You're asking for a friend, but this will also come in handy, Haley, for our Tour de Mont Blanc adventure in a couple of years. Okay. So if I was not running around Mount Blanc, if I was doing just a longer run or an ultra race where you had good support, you didn't need to carry a ton of stuff, maybe like a rain jacket at the most, but then you wanted to have the option between having a bladder or like the front flasks, um, plenty of storage for food to get you like through, but you know, you're not going to be out there for like <clears throat> a day, like a whole day on your own where you need to carry more supplies. I would go with the ultra spire alpha five race fest. That's my favorite for like long training runs, race situations, things like that. Um, I find I've switched to ultra spire. I am on their ambassador team. So full disclosure, but I switched to them this year because I was really impressed with the durability of their products. And also they have some small things that I really like, like the chest strap that you have for hydration packs on Ultraspire is made of elastic. Whereas a lot of companies have like a fabric clip kind of thing. And the elastic is like life-changing for me because you can breathe really heavy and it just like expands and contracts. And it's not like pressing into you all the time. So that was like a huge thing for me. So the alpha five is one of my favorites. And then, but when we are going around Mount Blanc, Haley, we'll probably, we might mail some things or like drop off some things. So we don't have to carry tons and tons. Um, but for like medium sized, um, carrying of things, I would also go ultra spire. I'd go with the Zygos. Um, I think I have the 4.0, 4.0, but they have since come out with a 5.0, which probably has some extra special tweaks, but you can still get the four. Um, and so the Zygos just has all of that, those things, but it has some more room for packing, maybe some more supplies or clothes or whatever you would want. Um, the Zygos is what I carried during Barkley when I was carrying a little bit more things while I was out there. Um, and I find that to be very comfortable and I like it a lot. And if you are, if you have other questions, feel free to DM me and I may or may not have a special code I could share with you too. Oh, oh, that's great to know. But yeah, I love, you know, I love supporting companies that support you as well. And, um, this is a whole new area for me. Like, I mean, cause I'm, well, I have a, I have an old one somewhere, but I'm, I'm team carry all the water bottles <laughs> usually, but, um, you know, if I, this is actually, yeah, it was asking for a friend, but, um, I knew you would give me good, good advice because, and also maybe for me, cause I'm like, maybe I should get a vest and then I should, um, try running with fewer water, like, you know, maybe it'd be better on my hands. I don't know. We'll try, but ultra spire alpha five, writing that down. Thank you so much. If any of our other listeners have questions, you can always write into ironwomenpodcasts at gmail.com. And we will, we do have a few, but we're getting to us. Sorry. I jumped the line, but, um, that's just what happens. It went with the theme this week, talking about UTMB, feeling like everything is, you know, fun, off-road, long, and trying to stay well hydrated as always. And another thing our listeners can be doing this week is continuing to submit your nominations for the Outspoken Awards. Uh, head to womensperformance.com slash awards. 
And there you can go in and submit your nominations for all the awards from triathlon coach of the year, athlete of the year, Bethany, Bethany Rutledge Memorial Memorial Award talking, Alyssa, uh, gravel cycling awards for coach of the year, athlete awards, race director of the year. I think that could be any of the sports, um, outstanding media contribution. Do I need to keep going on? I don't think so, but head there, submit like one a day, two a day. And then it's going to be a really great outspoken award ceremony come November. Yes. Wait, September 11th, midnight Pacific. That is the deadline. So if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, I think it's coming out September 1st. You just have like a week and a half to get them in. If you're listening to it after that, like time is ticking. So definitely get, get those people nominated. We want to see them recognized. And thank you to anyone who already has sent in their nominations. Good work. You're an overachiever getting it done early. <laughs> and Haley, we have a really great interview for everyone today too. Yes. We teased this last week because Amy Van Tassel, we chatted with her actually um, a couple weeks ago and it was such a fun conversation. She's an incredible storyteller. I got to hang out with her a little bit at Clash Watkins Glen. And she since then has raced in both like Placid and Montremblant. And also I think she did a gravel race, like maybe that Roots Vermont gravel. I mean, she is she is always on the move, always racing. Um, has, you know, just a fun attitude about it. She's also done a lot of ultra man races, which has been a, a theme recently. So she, she does it all and he does it all. So we, um, we talked to her again, I think it was before Lake Placid. So it's, it's a little bit of a pre-recorded interview, but it is very much well worth listening. Amy also works as an SAT, ACT, like standardized prep, um, college counseling admissions person. Like she has her own business and I feel like that comes through in a lot of her racing and her talking. She's very organized. Um, and there's a lot I can learn from that. And a lot I can learn from her infographics. And she also, Alyssa, even in Tremblant had like a, like a viewing guide. I think she made it. I think her mom was there, there, um, spectating. And it was, it was like all these like estimated times for like when things were going to be happening and where people should be. And she was kind enough to send it to me, which I did send to Betty and Ernie. And I will say, you know, Betty was always in the, Betty and Ernie were always in the right place at the right time for me on that race. So maybe I owe Amy a big thank you for that as well. So we will have this fun conversation with Amy Van Tassel right after a word from our sponsors. Hi, Amy. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hey, thank you so much. It's beyond my honor, especially with you two as hosts. Oh, well, we are honored to have you. Uh, we are recording this actually just in the finishing stages of the women's marathon at the world championships in Eugene that's happening. And it is getting me so fired up and I'm fired up for you because it is race week for you. I think you're, you're planning to race Ironman Lake Placid this weekend. The Adirondack mountains of New York is an area that you know, well, how are you feeling heading into this year's race? Never better. I actually kind of forgot it was next weekend because I'm so relaxed. <laughs> it's so great. It's just a couple hours away. Always a fun race. And I have pretty much no pressure on myself. There's no better way to enter a race, right? Wait, where, Amy, where are you based out of now? During the summer, I live in the Adirondacks because my whole family is here and we have big camps. We call them camps, um, but they're, you know, large houses on a lake so I can open water swim every day. Um, and it's a perfect base camp for, oh, you know, Ironman Lake Placid. 
Oh, that's awesome. I'm just over in um, Vermont now. So not far. Yeah. So I'll be making a day trip over to the Adirondacks to watch Lake Placid. So I'll be cheering for you there. Yay. Um, do you think that relaxed feeling comes from like having braced for so long at this point, right? Like you're a seasoned veteran. You have been through race weeks before, but like Ironman always is its own beast, but do you, you know, was there something different about this block or do you think it's come with experience? Um, I think, I think it's experience because yeah, I don't have the speed, but you know, I see young athletes coming up and they do seem so anxious on race morning. And I have to remember, oh, they've probably only done a handful. Someone asked me recently how many Ironmans fulls I have done. And I don't know. I, there's just so many, you know, I'm older and I've just done so many that every little time chips away at that anxiety, I think normalizes it. I think I've lost count too, but I think Alyssa keeps count and her number is like actually much bigger than me, but I just guess that's like my counting ability versus hers. My, <laughs> I have kept count. Well, I realized I was losing count. So then I started keeping count. Um, and I think I'm at 37. I, I don't remember off the top of my head. I like every time I go in and change it on my website. So that's how I keep count. But yeah, <laughs> I think I'm right. still, I'm forever at 20. I like yeah. quit after 20. I was like, right. oh, that's, that's the end of my abilities. But Amy, it's no secret. We sometimes record interviews ahead of when they air. And so by the time this airs, you it might actually be race week again for you because I think you're also planning to race Ironman Montremblant. Uh, it's just about a month post Placid. So you've raced this double before. And I think when you did that in 2018, your second race actually ended up being even faster than first. So how do you physically and mentally approach these back-to-back -back races? Are you like day after Placid, like on the recovery because you know you have another race coming up? That's, that's a million dollar question. I'm actually might sneak another couple races in there too. Maybe not falls, but, um, there's rooted Vermont, which is a cool, uh, gravel race. And I have my gravel bike with me so I can squeeze that in. Um, there's really only one way to answer that question, Haley, and that is have a coach, right? If you got back to backs, I might feel great one day and want to go out and race rooted Vermont. And the coach might say, no, <laughs> you feel great, but you really need to recover for at least a week after a fall to go into another fall. Someone once told me there's a sweet spot if you do back-to-back -back falls. A sweet spot is either just one week after and you do kind of like nothing in the middle or three weeks because then you can taper and then you can get a little sharper again, or then you can recover and then get sharper and then taper. Two weeks can be awkward, I think, because there's kind of nothing to do in the middle. Um, but I think last time I did a placid tromblant back to back, and I think it was about three weeks. So that's perfect. I couldn't agree more with that. I'm, uh, you know, when I was doing triathlon more, I was a frequent back to back racer like that. And I think that like analysis is really spot on, but it is tricky because you might feel great. Like you said, and these things come up, a friend says, Hey, do you want to go do this long run? Hey, do you want to do this? Hey, do you, you know, and it's having a coach helps. And I think just really like, you know, it separates athletes, like the athletes who can say, no, I need to rest. Right. Versus the ones who want to jump into every fun thing that comes their way. And it, it works for a little bit. It really does. Like you'll yeah. see people have a good, maybe even a whole season, but then it will, exactly. it will catch up with your body eventually when you do that sort of racing. And I think people look at athletes like yourself who do that, you know, quote, frequent racing and they see the races, but they're not seeing that really like 
thought out, well thought out, targeted rest training that you're doing in between, you know? Totally. Exactly. There was no question there. That was just my thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I love having both of you on this podcast because this back-to-back racing idea, I think is so fascinating. It is not something like I've really done. Um, I've, I mean, I've raced somewhat frequently, but not back-to-back Ironmans in one week. And Amy, I was at clash Watkins Glen with you. Um, was it just a week ago? (laughs) And, um, and on race morning, there were a few women, including yourself who were talking about how they wish they could also do muscle man 70.3, which was an age group (laughs) race that was happening on the same leg the next day. So we're talking like, you know, Saturday, Sunday races. Um, again, I was not in this convert. I was, I was listening to this conversation, not part of it, but have you ever done a double like that? Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, one thing that might not be double that kind of puts me in that mindset is that I've done Ultraman before because that puts you that that proves to you that you can again get a coach. Not always advisable, but you can go hard and long one day, and you can if you do the right things that night. You can go hard and long the next day. Now, all your preparation leading up to that needs to prepare you for that. And um, I think, you know, building the volume, training your body to perform when it's already tired has to be there um, from hopefully your coach. But I think Ultraman puts me in that mindset kind of like I can have a crazy day and have a crazy day the next day, too. (laughs) And what are you doing that evening? Like, are you eating or drinking water? I suppose noon endurance. Yeah. So back to Ultraman and I've done um, some gravel stage races. I'm not much of a cyclist, so I never got into the road bike stage scene, but there's been gravel. So it's cool. It's kind of like um, what I've learned if you have two consecutive hard days or six or something is to not fall prey right after the race Two, being social, which is very hard for me after a race I want to party and hang out give high fives forget to eat forget to drink talk to everyone um and uh kind of to go home right away even if you're in a fun new place just go home get off get clean get off your feet and don't wait to be putting fuel back in because if you do an Ironman at the end whatever it's party time you can forget to rehydrate. You can start eating pizza or not. You can start drinking beer. Doesn't matter. You don't have to do anything the next day. You're going to feel like crud anyway. But if you have to perform the next day, immediately, you might not feel it, but you've got to fuel like you're still in the race. You know, like, so if you're on that bike in Ironman, you're fueling regularly on a clock, right? If you have something hard the next day, you have to keep that fuel after the race into the evening, all the way up to bedtime. So I'd be up for muscle man the next day for sure. And Amy, so what did you think about the race in Watkins Glen? Haley and I got to talk about it a little bit. I've been to Watkins Glen only for hiking and stuff, but it's a beautiful area for a race. I was excited to hear about it running on the racetrack, all of that. Like, how did your day go for you? My day didn't go well. It was one of the most fun and enjoyable and exciting races I have ever done in my life. And I heard Haley interviewed and respond like this with genuineness that she'd never done anything like that. That's a lot 
that's those are big words for someone who's raced a lot and I concur I have never done anything like that um I had a, a bad race because I had a bad swim and I ended up not just a minute not just five minutes but almost an hour, <laughs> almost 30 minutes, uh, back on the bike. And so that, that meant the whole day was tanked, but it was such a cool venue. I couldn't help but go on. And when I got off the bike, I thought about quitting cause I was just so far behind. I didn't know what I was doing out there. But when I started to run and entered the racetrack, I smiled huge. When have I ever done that in a race? I was kind of like, this is amazing. And you know, we all race all over the world and Europe and Asia and everything. And this was unprecedented. What a crazy cool venue and a cool little town in the middle of New York. Um, I will, I will say that was a very, it was a very challenging swim. Um, I'm usually very good at sighting and I had, I struggled a lot and I think that might've been my slowest sometime in my career as well. So it happens. Um, and you know, but I think that your race experience is a testament to sometimes just keeping going and you might still get a good experience out of it and probably a good training day, because obviously that was, that was not your last race of the season. Um, and when I did do my recap in on the show, I I did reference a comment that you made post-race when we were chatting, um, you were talking about how you appreciated the culture clash in Watkins Glen because you had triathletes, you had car racing fans and you had wine tasters kind of all hanging out the same area at the finish. Can you tell us a little bit more about that idea and what you liked about watching that happen? You know, my mom always asks, are you still having fun? And fun doesn't always occur to us, you know, especially you guys, you, you know, let pressures on and people have to make a living off of this stuff. But I think we can all agree that at the end of the day, we're going to wake up and realize that we saw the world through triathlon. We got to travel all over the world and see things we never would have. To me, that used to mean going to Asia and seeing the pyramids, seeing the Nile, seeing the French Alps and seeing all these things. And recently, especially right after COVID when travel wasn't as accessible, recently I've been on a jag of racing in small town USA and it has been a wonderful eye-opener for me to see that, you know, there are parts of the country I wouldn't naturally visit otherwise. Des Moines, Iowa, Louisville, Tulsa, those amazing towns I never ever would go to if it wasn't for a triathlon. Watkins Glen, not off off the highway. No one's gonna go there (laughs) except until we tell them there's very good wine there. Um, No one in our circles. And it's so nice to remember that our circles are very small. There's another world out there and they have their circles and they're all important. NASCAR is the biggest sport in this country for spectating. And I personally have no overlap with NASCAR (laughs) and I would never appreciate that if it wasn't for Daytona and Watkins Glen. You know, when you go to a town and if you went to New York City or San Diego or Boulder, everyone's a triathlete. They're not excited that you're there. When you go to Watkins Glen, people are kind of like, you did what? You biked, then you swam, then and you say, no, you swim first. And they're like, what? And then meanwhile, we should be saying, you did what? You, you farm, 
every single day and wake up at 6 a.m., that's amazing. <laughs> I could never do that. And so I just love, I love it when we get our eyes opened um, and could open, you know, some other people's eyes. In, in Tulsa, I met a kid who was a little unhealthy, a little boy. And uh, long story short, I won't go into it, but by the end I got him, he said he was going to promise to try to learn how to swim. He was going to promise to one, try to run for one minute every day. And that's, you know, that culture, we inspire them. They inspire us is, um, is cool. Do you think that it was the pandemic forcing everyone to stay home and become a little bit closer connected within their communities, like locally for so long that helped like that mindset shift? Or do you think it's just kind of like, I mean, for me, it's like, sometimes I'm like, man, I just don't have the energy I had anymore when I was 28 and like ready to travel the world. Right. So like I'm finding the silver linings of traveling, you know, closer to home a little bit more too. But I, you know, I guess, have you thought about what that perspective shift came from for you? Yeah. And I think it can be both. Um, another thing for me, because I'm not competitive, you know, like you guys are, it's all relative. I also don't like being self-deprecating, so I'm just being honest, but, um, for a while I had to go chase races away from like you guys. <laughs> so I had, if I had any hope on making money, I'd have to go find some, you know, Indochina. <laughs> um, and so taking some pressure off of myself, I think helped me just go race any race you want to, you know, doesn't matter who's there or not. Um, and I think the pandemic opened that door. And then I believe that it's perpetuating it just the way the pandemic opened neighbors doors to neighbors and help. And I think incited and inspired people to be more cognizant of their neighbors and altruism. And you just kind of hope that clings and stays on a little bit. I think the same is true with triathlon. Okay. We got to talk about this competitiveness though, because in 2018, you won Ultraman Israel overall. So you finished first among women and men. I feel like that qualifies you as very competitive. Um, again, these multi-day things are, are not exactly in my wheelhouse. Um, you and Alyssa can chat about that, but I like to like sleep in and just eat in bed the next day. Um, <laughs> not get back out there and ride for like another nine hours. But, uh, what made you decide to, to race that particular Ultraman? It would always be a dream to do an Ultraman elsewhere. And much like the race for Kona, for Ironman competitors, um, I thought I would always ultimately do the Ultraman in Hawaii. Um, but then one day I got an email saying, you are invited by the ambassador of Ireland, Israel to visit Israel and also do this race. And I was kind of like junk mail. <laughs> and then I got it again. It is like, it is our pleasure to invite you to do Ultraman. We will fly you over. And I was like, yeah, right. Junk mail. And then one of my friends called me, he said, I've been trying to, um, refer you and nominate you to get flown to Israel to race. And you're now responding to them. And I was like, Oh no. And so, um, uh, Israel, um, the department of, tra of travel or tourism, uh, is on a big kind of like decade long, um, campaign to get us citizens to visit there. You might've heard of birthright. If you've got some Jewish heritage, you might be able to go over there. Um, and I was part of that program and they invited two 
North American athletes, a male and a female, um, to go over there. And so I just had the honor of being nominated. It was after I did Ironman Canada and they took that result and let me go over there. It was, I was beyond honored. And so we lightly stalked your Instagram um, and it looks like your training for Ultraman Israel included not just back-to-back Ironmans, but also eight hour trainer rides and at least one 30 mile treadmill run in an altitude chamber that was at set to more than 16,000 feet. So, you know, we want to ask how you come up with that kind of training plan based on some things you've said earlier, we're thinking like, I don't know, maybe you're, you had a coaching help who kind of told you what it was and that was what it was. So yeah. Where did you even begin to kind of craft that sort of training plan? I've never, ever done my own training plan because even with Ultraman, even though it might be relevant, all I would do is go long, 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 long. I'll ride for hours. I'll run for hours. I'll run on a treadmill. People think I'm crazy. I must be crazy because I'm kind of like, I don't know. I'll put a movie up, you know? Yeah. I've Um, never done more than a marathon on a treadmill. So 30 miles on the treadmill has even me beat, which is impressive. (laughs) But you know what? Uh, Listen, I can't go and do track intervals. If you told me I had a half hour workout, but I had to do repeat two hundreds, I'd be like, Oh God, Oh God, no, please. No. What about like Ironman pace on the track though, for like three hours, you know, does that, that a little better? It's getting there. Okay. Getting better. (laughs) Um, but you know, but back to the coach, my coach at that point was so calculated and knew the sweet spot of volume and, and some intensity to prepare you for that race. You know, when you do an Ironman, I think most people don't do a lot of marathons to lead up to that. I never run 26 miles before an Ironman. And if you just extrapolate that to Ultraman, you're not going to race and run a bunch of 53 mile runs, but you do have to do a lot of 30 or you do have to do a lot of five hour runs. And my coach knew kind of how, not how many for me, but how few to do. And there's no choice if it's raining out or if you need to get some altitude, you don't have the luxury of saying, oh, I'll do that 30 30 mile run tomorrow. Like you've got to do it that day because there's just no time you have to plan for it. Um, And so that was, it's just kind of going through the motions just like any other training plan. And how did you decide to do it at 16,000 feet of elevation and altitude chamber? And also what did that feel like? It sounds terrible. It's terrible. You in that. So I, I train at this gym that has an altitude chamber and they set the altitude. So you have no choice. You go in and you're kind of like, Oh shoot, we're at 1600 today. Okay, great. No choice. Um, and it altitude, uh, running on a treadmill in a chamber, you just can't expect the same pace you got to drop your pace way back, just like altitude, you know? Um, and man being assiduous with fuel and hydration, you wouldn't get through it without it. Um, you just kind of do a little bit more of that than you would otherwise. And then that's kind of it. And do you feel like that training prepared you for, for that three-day race? I mean, we already said that you won, but do you feel like that, that did set you up for that win? Yeah. You know, it's when you amazing 
women like you say, wow, how did you do that? Because you know, mentally that sounds the worst, right? Like you guys could go do that right now, but mentally you don't feel like it, right? I think that training set me up mentally because every Ultraman I've done, I've broken down in unceremonious, very ungraceful and ugly ways. Like once I sat down crisscross applesauce on the run and chucked a bottle at my pacer, it's just your emotions, you go, you go nutso out there. And so that type of training where you put yourself in these crazy mental situations by yourself on any given Sunday or Monday or Tuesday, I think helps you mentally as much as athletically. And Amy, you wrote a recap post on your medium page and it had a little story about the prize you won for winning the overall race in Israel and the challenges that you had collecting that prize. So can you share that story with our (laughs) listeners? Absolutely. And I think this is part of the, the culture clash. When, when triathletes go somewhere, we impart a little thing, something, and we also learn a little something. Israel, or at least let me generalize, that area um, isn't the m- most equitable in terms of women's and men's athletics. There are definitely more male athletes. And um, when I won the race, they had only prepared prizes for one winner, not male winner, female winner. And the race director, everyone prepared a a check, a paper check, a pair of like one of those big, awesome novelty checks. Amazing. Um, A pair of Hoka One Ones and a couple other things. These were all for the one winner, not some one for the man and one for the woman. And of course they a hundred percent planned on that one winner being a man. And so when I won this stuff, it was like a man's shirt, <laughs> a jockstrap, jock you know, <laughs> so a, a subscription to men's health, you know? Um, and, but they gave me a certificate for these Hoka One Ones and I went to the Hoka One One store to uh, redeem it. And the guy say, there said, oh no, this is for whoever won Ultraman. And I was kind of like, yep, I, we, uh, I won it. And they said, no, 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 this is a certificate. We're going to give a free pair of shoes to the man who won Ultraman. And I was kind of like, um, well, I won it and no man beat me. And he got so frustrated. He said, well, we don't have many women's shoes here. (laughs) He literally pointed me to the corner where there was just a stacked box of maybe like four women's sizes. The whole store was stocked with men's hoko. <laughs> so not only was it funny they didn't prepare for a female winner, but this guy kind of wanted nothing to do with me. He was kind of like, oh. <laughs> and so I found some size six hokas that were too small for me and called it a day. Um, but I hope I left him with a little, little thought, or maybe I left the race director with maybe the idea to prepare for any winner or at least make it equitable and even prizes. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, hopefully, I mean, it's been a couple of years. They've had a little bit of time, right. order some more women's shoes and wow. hopefully people saw you racing too. You know, you never know, you know, someone on the sidelines, a little girl, a woman on the sidelines. I mean, I feel like that happened in Watkins Glen when I was like talking to people at that wine festival afterwards where they were like, yeah. Oh, 
maybe I should do next year. And I think sometimes it is seeing it and realizing that's something that can happen that, uh, you know, inspires someone else to, to maybe give it a try or at least try running or at least go get some shoes. Exactly. There's been probably nothing more rewarding in all of triathlon for me than that phenomenon. And Amy, prior to 2015, you raced Ironman in 70.3s as an age grouper. And during that time, you were also racing Ultraman. I think you were second in Canada uh, in 2014. Did your Ultraman career change at all once you started racing the shorter distance triathlons, which seems funny to call Ironman a short distance triathlon, but as (laughs) when you started racing Ironman and that distance as a professional, did that have any impact on Ultraman since the, the categories are a little different, but did you feel any different pressures? Well, the biggest thing is you really can't do both. You can't have a year and do an Ultraman and do and be competitive in Ironman around it because um, building up to an Ultraman, your training is long, but it's a little bit slower. So you're never going to have sharpness for a 70.3 or an Ironman for months before an Ultraman. And then afterwards, who? you, your body is, is cooked. And so you probably couldn't recover and get sharp for those races for another few months. And so the biggest difference is when I turned pro, I wanted to capitalize and I knew I wouldn't be pro for too many years. So we want to, you know, maximize my time. You basically, I basically have to look at a year and decide a or B black or white. Is it an Ultraman year or not? And if it's an Ultraman year, there can't be any plans for a competitive Ironman season um, and vice versa. If, if I want to do, try to, you know, make some money or do something at Ironman can't do an Ultraman that year. Um, so real tough choice to have, but what I think some people think is a, the curse of the triathlete having all these options is the blessing of the athlete too, because there's so much to do. There's, you know, and what is this year? I mean, I know that you're doing all these Ironmans. Is this an Ironman year? I, so I, you know, I have to be honest. I, it, it might be kind of a swan song year, um, which takes pressure off as well. A uh, great triathlete, handsome man out of Boulder, Colorado named Justin Dare. So competitive and bam, he just retired. And he put it like this. He said, you never know when it's your last year. No one's ever like, this is my last year. I'll retire after this one. Tom Brady, you know, no one really knows. And he didn't know. Um, but I'm prepared for <laughs> that it's possible it's my last year. And so I wanna, I wanna rack them up. I, w- I would love to race as much as possible just in case that's a possibility. Uh, so Ironman year, definitely. And speaking of doing all the things, Amy, in addition to being a pro triathlete and Ultraman champion, you're also an entrepreneur and founder of VT College Counseling. And it has been a while since Haley and I applied for colleges, but we do remember it being, and it's probably changed a lot in the last couple of decades. I don't know, Haley, how old I think the internet, the internet was invented. (laughs) I know. I think I still in my closet have like the common application that I hand wrote. Yeah. So, um, you know, but it was still overwhelming even in that day and age. So can you tell us a little bit about your business and what you're doing? 
yeah, triathlon doesn't pay the bills for me for some reason, uh, to say the least. And so I think a lot of us find these gigs where we can travel as well. That's the ideal, right? And it's so wonderful when you can. I used to work in college admissions and I saw how pretty horrible the industry is. It's rife with inequity. It's, it's fueled by the economy and they're, they're capitalists as well. And I saw so much stress with young, with high school students and their families, so much anxiety and worry about where they'll get in, how to prep for it. Student athletes is another thing altogether. And it broke my heart. They're paying for this. College is something that's a privilege and it should kind of actually be fun to shop for her college. Uh, and so I switched and work on this proverbial side of the desk now, and I help students and families navigate the process. Um, and my mission is to remove stress. And then my secret little mission for most of my students is to think outside the box. They hear a lot of what's known as name brands for colleges. And there are 3000 amazing colleges in this nation alone. And I love to get them thinking about different futures or different schools. And maybe if they were a big fish in a little pond at a different one, you know, not everyone can go to Stanford. Um, and so that's a, that's a rewarding gig and I can do it from anywhere. So it's great. Do you think your experience working with the collegiate admission system helps you as a pro triathlete when you're approaching brands for sponsorship or you're filling out an application for a race like Ultraman? That's a cool question I never thought of. I think a big one is that in college admissions, I did a lot of public speaking and you have to exude confidence too when you work in college admission. And when you work with teenagers, um, you have to sound 100% sure of yourself, just like any kid, right? You can't falter, they'll smell it. They'll sniff you out and be like, no, forget it lady. You're not gonna help me with anything. And so I think that um, sense of assuredness, like, no, I am right. I do know what I'm talking about. I, I hope that translates over. And Amy, so we have a few minutes left with you. And so we think you have a very handy skill in being an expert in what to wear for running or cycling in various weather conditions. You know, you, you're often in different climates and things like that. So just to humor us, can we ask you for a few different weather workout situations and you tell us what you'd wear, um, basically. So, um, we will, we will start with an easy run, 60 degrees and sunny, easy run, 60 degrees, sunny. You might, since it's 60, be a little chilly because you've been outside. But what you don't know is you're going to heat up like that, even though it's an easy run. Don't be fooled. Chances are you don't need gloves and you don't need a beanie. You'll just rip them off later. So stay strong. I know it's an easy run. You'll still heat up. Short sleeves, tank top, shorts or knickers, but you don't need a beanie and you don't need gloves. Love it. What about a track workout run in 50 degree rain? Oh, one word for you, Haley layers, because okay. if you go on a long trail run, you can't take off your shirt and chuck it in the woods unless you want to go back there later track. You're going to be cold when you start and you should start nice and slow, right? Any track workout. I've seen the Nike kids they run slowly. They're running like 11 minute miles to get ready for a track workout. So go out there bundled, but be prepared to wear your cutest sports bra or cutest tank top. Cause that's what you'll end up doing your intervals in. So warm up all warm 
And then when it's ready for that first interval, take it off, chuck it at the line, at the 400 start line. Keep it right there. Keep an eye on it because you'll need it to go home later. I love it. This is spot on. So riding in 60 degrees again and windy riding different ball game. Okay. Well, first you need to determine if it's going to stay sunny and if you'll be riding in the sun or not big difference. Um, if it's windy, you'll need to determine if you will be affected by that wind or if you're going into a tree tunnel and you won't be, um, again, with the layers, uh, there's a reason that the gods of cycling invented arm warmers. They're not just geeky. It's so you can take them off while you're riding. It's, uh, I think people forget that sometimes. I saw someone say, I got to pull over, take my arm warmers off. What? If you're not skilled enough to take your arm warmers off while riding. Um, so one thing with wind makes me think of a wind vest because they're so light then um, they do block the wind, but you can so easily take them off and shove them in your back pocket. So to answer your question, a full kit, don't need knee warmers, light arm warmers and a wind vest, you will probably take them off later. All right, okay, we're going back to the run, a tempo run in 90 degrees and sunny. So I'm gonna have to go with naked. I like your style water bottles with two ice cold water bottles. So you can pour it down your naked body as you go. Um, um, yeah, that would definitely be as little as possible for the boys, just your little cute little shorts for the girls, just your cute shorts and a sports bra. The only exception would be if you're quite sun sensitive, either lather up the sunscreen, or I guess I've seen some sun shirts that do kind of work well. They never work for me, um, but that sounds like as little as possible. However, don't leave home on a 90 degree sunny day without your running cap. It will protect your face and eyes. That's one. Caps and sunglasses are always the thing I always forget. I need to put them right at the door. Um, <laughs> Amy, thank you so much for having some fun with us, taking the time to chat. We are really looking forward to watching you race this Placid Tremblant double, get all the racing in this year, you know, regardless of what you have in the future racing wise, but it's super fun to watch you race. You clearly do it with a lot of joy and we are just so thrilled you took some time to chat with us today. Thank you guys. You guys are my heroes. Well, Haley, I'm super glad we talked to Amy about what to wear in changing conditions for riding because I was walking Max this morning because Ramona didn't want to walk. So it was just me and Max out this morning. And I noticed as we were heading back home that the big tree behind the house is already changing color. So it is what, August 29th and fall is coming, which means, and it's been cool morning. So I do feel like fall is around the corner the temperatures are going to start being a little wonky and I'm going to be in that zone where I'm like, what do I wear to ride today? And I'm just going to reflect back on what Amy taught us. I know Amy, Amy has an infographic and information for everything. And I do feel like she has like a, put a lot of thought into that where she's like, okay, here's how it's going to be when you're to start. And then here's how it's going to be when you warm up. And I did think, um, I appreciate that. Cause even though I've been doing this a long time, there's so many days when I dress inappropriately. I'm like, why, why did I think pants were a good idea? And you are right. Again, this episode comes out on September 1st. How did that happen? Um, 
yeah, I'm not calling it fall yet. I've had a really, really nice summer. So I'm kind of holding on to that for a few more weeks, but September is a nice month. You know, you have like the cool mornings and everything and, and you can still open yeah. water swim. I feel like that's like the, when maybe you, stop- you can, <laughs> <laughs> maybe you can, I think maybe I could like, yeah, with a neoprene cap, but and maybe Amy, can we could call Amy back up? What do you wear? What kind of, what kind of wetsuit, what kind of neoprene cap head, head, whatever things, maybe some people could do that. Yeah. How cold do you go for open water swimming? Well, I, now that we moved and I'm much closer to a lake, I'll have to see, this will be the first time I really, but like yesterday, it depends on the air temperature. Cause if the air temperature is warm, I don't mind, but it's like when the air temperature starts dropping that I really don't, cause I don't like getting out and then having just being frozen. Right. Still. So, but I'm going to see. I, I haven't, I'm still going in just a bathing suit. And so I already was like, okay, I think I can make it another week or two in my bathing suit. And then I'll graduate to like the swim run wetsuit, which is just like the shorty, oh. you know, and then maybe I can do a week or two in that. And then maybe graduate to the, you know, like, I'm not one of those people that like, likes to suffer when they're open water swimming. So I'll do the wetsuit. And I don't know, I think I can make it at least another month before I'm miserable doing it. Okay. You and Amy can collaborate on this. You've got it all <laughs> together, but, um, I'm still trying to warm up from that. swim I did with Molly Hayes, like years and years ago, <laughs> but, um, anyway, and I like cold water or, you know, you can do the Sarah Thomas ice mile, you know, but that's like non-wetsuit. I think that has to be like, what is that? Like, that's like real, real cold. That's but, real cold. The and the ice and mile is like the ice mile is very very hard. I was thinking there's people who do like the plunges and like I think I can get myself like to just plunge and get out right. But like okay. you just keep your um car like warm or you have to you know. But like yes, once you're swimming and I don't know maybe I just need to swim harder in the open water and keep myself warmer. I don't know. No, when it gets cold, you can't get it. I've like yeah. I've had that problem before where I'm like oh my goodness you can't go you just can't warm yourself up, but. Um, this has been a fun conversation. I think we're going to have to keep track on this, on, on how cold can you go until you do the ice mile, but, um, pull or plunge anyway, Alyssa, have a great week and I will chat with you next week. Bye Haley. You have been listening to the iron women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron women is a production of feisty media and is edited by Amelia Perry and produced by Ellen Atitian. Head to livefeisty.com to find more podcasts, events, stories, and fresh perspectives. Thanks for listening.